Today's a special day because we have a special guest speaker in the house today. This was unplanned by me. But the Lord has set it all up. And so last night, right before the joint prayer meeting that New Philly we host each month, uh, Pastor Aaron came into the back room and told me to close my eyes. And she, had, she said she had a surprise for me. I thought she was going to do some prank or put, like, cake in my face. I was like, what kind of foolishness is this? And then uh, when I opened my eyes, Pastor Benjamin had flown in all the way from California to attend my graduation ceremony tomorrow. And so this is very special, uh, very meaningful for me uh, because the Lord used Pastor Benjamin's voice uh, to put me back into seminary and to exhort me to finish seminary when at that time I thought the Lord, I was interpreting what the Lord was saying as that I didn't have to finish. That God was raising up a new breed of pastors who didn't have formal education and, and all that stuff, credentialing and stuff. And so I, I thought that I, I had already taken a few classes, about a year and a half worth of part-time classes, but I had no interest in really finishing. But the Lord had been speaking through different people. But for me, I needed to be fully convinced. And so God directly spoke to Pastor Benjamin when he was praying for me one morning. And Pastor Benjamin called me up and said, you know, this is what the Lord has put on my heart. And I'm just going to share with you straight. I want you to go and finish seminary. And so the very next week when I returned to Korea from California, I re-enrolled in seminary. And over the last three years, two years, the last two years, I went pretty much full time in order to finish. And tomorrow I will be finishing and it's, so it's very meaningful for me to have Pastor Benjamin here with me. Uh, the ceremony is open to everyone. Uh, it's going to be at the Onuri's uh, main sanctuary. So there's in plenty of space. Most of you are working on Monday. So don't worry about it. Uh, you know, I won't cry if you ain't there. Uh, but for those who, who want to come out, uh, if you do come out, make sure to say hi before you go. Don't just come in and slip out, right? This is my graduation ceremony. Make sure you come out and give me a hug or something. All right. Uh, if, you, if the Lord leads you, prepare like a card or a gift. That's even better. But, you know, and uh, I'm not hinting at nothing. All right. I'm happy with just your presence and your smile. And especially if you're a guy and you're broke. All right. Start saving up for your marriage. All right, don't worry about my graduation gift. I'd rather see you get married. All right. So. Uh, so I asked Pastor Benjamin last night if he'd be willing to speak since he's in town. And Pastor Benjamin said, I'm down. And so I cleared up all the speaker schedules at all our campuses. So everybody's going to get Pastor Benjamin's message today. Uh, Pastor Benjamin is a graduated from Fuller Seminary. He is the founding pastor of Living Hope Christian Center, which is located in Emeryville, California, uh, which is where the headquarters of Pixar is located near Oakland and Berkeley. Uh, he became my spiritual father back in 2010. When Aaron and I submitted to him and made a covenant relationship with him to walk in the spirit of sonship with this man. And of course, God, he manifests his heart in many ways through various people. But God uses this man and his wife, Pastor Sonny. He uses both of them in a powerful way to manifest the father's heart to us. And they've been a tremendous blessing to us since we came into that relationship three years ago. And so it's with great joy and honor to welcome up. Pastor Benjamin Robinson. Come on. 
Good to see you all this morning. How's everybody doing? It's a pleasure to be with you. I couldn't miss it. My wife told me, she said, baby, you have to go for Pastor Christian's graduation. You've got to honor his obedience. And I'm here because uh, you have an awesome pastor. And he's an awesome man of God. God's using him in such a a great way. And, you know, um, a lot of people... ask my wife and I to be their spiritual parents. I don't say that in a um, boastful way, Uh, just real. Um, (laughs) But we can't say yes to everybody. What we do is we seek the heart of God and we seek the mind of God. And we want to know, we want to find the relationships in which God is yoking us up for a kingdom purpose. And when God gave us pastors Christian and Aaron, it wasn't just for pastors Christian and Aaron. It was for me and my wife as well. It wasn't just for new Philly. It was for living hope as well. Because what I have discovered is that submission is always a two way street. It's never just a one way street. There's always a cross pollination that occurs in submission. You know, I asked Pastor Daniels once, I said, what are you going to do if Dr. Kirby dies? Are you going to have to find another spiritual father? And he said, no. I said, why not? He said, because I got you. And he said, I've got mature sons that will speak into my life. They'll never let me go wrong. As long as I listen to my sons, the Lord will keep me on the straight and narrow. And he said, the problem with so many men and women of God who have fallen is not simply that they didn't have a covering, but because they didn't listen to the people under their covering who would speak truth to them because they loved them and they were committed to them. And so I began to understand submission a little bit differently. And the Lord took me to Ephesians 5.21. And in Ephesians 5.21, Paul lays out the foundational principle for understanding submission in the body of Christ. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And when Paul says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, he means that in each and every one of our relationships, we can pursue right relationship with one another by discerning the type of grace that flows through that relationship and the appropriate form of submission that we offer that grace In other words, when we submit to one another, we do so not out of reverence for one another, but out of reverence for Christ. I submit to Christ, and wherever I see Christ, I submit to him. And when I see Christ flowing through you, I submit to Christ. If I see Christ flowing through my four-year-old daughter, I submit to Christ. That is, it doesn't matter, it has nothing to do with age, it has nothing to do with reputation, it has nothing to do with education, it has nothing to do with denomination, it has nothing to do with experience, it has nothing to do with knowledge, it has nothing to do with anything other than the fact that the grace of Jesus Christ flows through human beings, and wherever I see that grace of Jesus Christ flowing through a human being, I'm going to submit to it. 
Now, the fundamental principle is that there is no such thing as any kind of authority that does not come from God, according to Romans chapter 13. And that's why Paul says in Romans 13, 1, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And he's talking about even secular governmental authority, the law of the land. And he said that law has been established by God to punish those who do evil and to reward those who do good. So where there are legitimate forms of law, we are to submit to that law. And literally Paul says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. But then when he says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ in Ephesians 5.21, he follows that immediately by giving us six examples of how to do that in six different kinds of relationships. And so the first thing he says is, wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Wives, submit to your husbands. He says, wives, if you would begin to see the grace that has been given to you by Christ through your husband, you would submit to that grace. And we call that submission respect. Wives, see to it that you respect your husbands in all things. That means even when your husband is not acting respectable, you still respect him. Why? Because you're you're submitting to him not out of reverence for him, but out of reverence for Christ. And it is the grace of Christ that flows through him to you. That is what the gift that Christ gave you when he gave you a husband. And so in order to submit to that grace, you must respect him in all things. But then he goes on and says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Just as the appropriate form of submission that a wife offers her husband is called respect, the appropriate form of submission that a husband offers his wife is called sacrifice. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might wash her with the washing of water by the word, that she might be a spotless bride without spot or blemish or any such thing. So should a man also love his own wife. And if a man, and and so the husband is to recognize the grace of Christ that flows to him through his wife, even when she's not being lovable, you still love her. Why? Because you're submitting yourself to her, not out of reverence, for her, but out of reverence for Christ. And if we get it twisted, we start responding to one another according to our actions rather than according to the grace of Christ. And if we would begin to discern the grace of Christ, we'd look past actions. I'm going to say, I'm going to submit myself. I'm going to serve my wife. I'm going to sacrifice myself for her. Why? Because the scripture says when a man finds a wife, he finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. And so I'm going to submit to that grace of Christ that comes through me, through her to me, by sacrificing, by laying down my life for my wife. But then he goes on in chapter 6 and says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. The type of submission that a child is to offer to his parent is called obedience. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And he says, this is the first commandment with promise. Meaning if you go to the Ten Commandments, the first one that comes with a promise, not just a command, but a command plus a promise, is children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. He says, obey your parents that it might be well with you and so that your days might be long in the earth. And so I tell my daughter, if you want to live a long life, you do what I say or else God will kill you what the Bible says. But then he goes on and says, fathers, do not exasperate your children, 
but raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. The type of submission that a parent is to offer to the child is called encouragement. That is an encouragement that I'm even submitting to my daughter, meaning I might even be upset at her about something, but I've got to understand that what she needs right now is not correction. She needs some encouragement. Correction might be right, but correction is not right, is not honoring the grace of Christ that comes to her, through her to me at this time. And so in honor, in order to reverence Christ, I've got to offer my daughter encouragement. I can't exasperate her, but I've got to raise her in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And then he goes on to say, slaves, obey your masters for you serve one master, even Christ he says, slaves, obey your master, serve your masters as if you're serving the Lord. He's, this applies to employees. This applies to anyone who is in a downline and has an upline above them that you're serving. He says the type of submission that a slave is to offer to a master is called service. Serve your masters the way you, you would serve the Lord. Why? Because that is the grace of Christ. You know, it drives me crazy when Christians complain about their jobs. You forgot that you're lucky to have a job. It's the grace of God. I mean, even Joseph, his first day as a slave, he didn't complain. He was like, hey, I got a job. <laughs> you know what I mean? He served Potiphar like he was serving God. He served Potiphar like he was back in his father Jacob's house. He wasn't complaining. Shoot, I would have been the worst slave. They would have had to kill me. <laughs> nah, they would have just shown me the whip and I would have got right to work. But Joseph served with such excellence and such a good attitude that Potiphar put him over the whole house. There's a type of submission that a servant is to offer to his master. It's called service. But then he says, masters, do not show partiality to your slaves. He says, treat your slaves with respect. Why? Because you serve one master, even Christ, and he has no favoritism, meaning he does not distinguish between you and the slave. He sees you all at the same level. So the type of submission that a, a master is to even offer to the slave is called fairness. You got to be fair. You got to be just. You got to be, there's got to be equity in, in your relationship with those over whom you exert leadership. And so Paul, these are only six examples, but Paul says you must recognize that there's always a mutual flow of the grace of Christ in every relationship. And in every relationship, you must recognize the grace that is flowing to you from that relationship and submit to it. He didn't say submit to title. He didn't say submit to position. He said submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And, and actually, that's not even the message that I prepared to preach to you today. But I gave that to you because I wanted to say that I received so much from pastors Christian and Aaron. I learned so much from them. I received so much from them. And I am so thankful to God for putting them into my life, into my wife's life. And, and I'm here to honor them on behalf of my wife, on behalf of Living Hope Christian Center. I'm here to honor them. I'm here to honor Pastor Christian and say that as, as a great man of God, such a great man of God as he, for him to, to be submitted, for him to be as humble as he is, says a whole lot, not only about who he is, but about what God is doing in his life and what God will use him to do. And so New Philly, I say you're a powerful house. You're doing awesome things for the kingdom of God. Amen. Uh, I want to talk to you about something that has nothing to do with anything that I've said to you so far. <laughs> what time I got to be done? Okay. I want to talk to you about the Sabbath. I know you're getting ready to enter into your Sabbath season, and I want to talk to you about your Sabbath season. 
today. And I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke chapter 13, beginning at verse 10. We're going to look at verses 10 through 17. Luke 13, verses 10 through 17. We're going to look at something peculiar. We're going to look at the practice of Jesus. That practice is healing on the Sabbath. I want to ask the question, why did Jesus heal on the Sabbath? What was that all about? Now, let's look at this passage. Hebrews chapter, I mean, uh, Luke chapter 13, verse 10 through 17. Luke 13, 10 through 17. Now, he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loose from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus that you would grant us wisdom and understanding, revelation and insight and clarity. And I pray that you would truly bring us into the Sabbath and teach us to live there. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Healing on the Sabbath was a peculiar component of the ministry of Jesus. He liked to do it. And he did it on purpose. If you think about it, Jesus had to go out of his way to heal on the Sabbath. The Sabbath began Friday evening at sundown, and it ended Saturday evening at sundown. And they would go to the the synagogue to worship during Saturday, during the day. They would be there, and they would be worshiping in the synagogue during the Sabbath. And, And Jesus would always go out of his way to work some miracles, to cast out a demon, to do some healings on the Sabbath day, knowing that it was going to tick off the leadership of the church. There's seven gospel accounts, seven accounts in the gospels of Jesus healing and working miracles on the Sabbath. In Mark 121, he drives an evil spirit out of a man on the Sabbath. In Mark 8, 14 through 15, he heals Peter's mother-in-law on the Sabbath. In John 5, 1 through 18, he heals a lame man on the Sabbath. In Mark 3, 1 through 6, he heals a man with a shriveled hand on the Sabbath. Here in Luke 13, he straightens the back of a crippled woman on the Sabbath. In Luke 14, 1 through 6, he heals a man of dropsy on the Sabbath. And in John 9, he heals a man born blind on the Sabbath. Seven times, seven witnesses in the Gospels of this act of Jesus, this practice of Jesus of healing on the Sabbath. And when you think about this practice of Jesus, it seems unnecessarily controversial. I mean, he could have just waited a few hours. Like he could have said, you know, just a few hours, the sun's going to go down, meet me at this location, and we're going to have a healing service after the sun goes down. He could have waited, he could have had a Saturday night service, but he had to heal folks on Saturday afternoon. Right? 
I mean, I've ministered in, in some churches where the gifts of the Spirit have not been uh, embraced as a public phenomenon. And I've been told by some pastors, you know, if you get a prophetic word for someone, give it to them in a private room after the service, not during the service. If you want to pray for somebody to be healed, do it in a hallway. Don't highlight it. Don't do it in the service. And I've always respected that because I think when I come into somebody's house, I've got to be respectful of the rules of that house. I'm not there to take over. But Jesus, he didn't have the same sentiment. When Jesus visited your church, he came to take over your church. He didn't come in as a guest. He came in to say, this is my place. Scoot over. You know? He took over your whole service. And he would do it. No, he did it just to tick off the religious people, the religious leaders. Unnecessary controversy Jesus was engaged in. Unnecessarily controversial. The Sabbath was a day given by God as a day of rest. And the Sabbath was a beautiful thing. The Sabbath in Israel, even to this day, when you speak, of, of, when you speak to Israelites, you speak to the Jews who still practice the Sabbath, it's seen as a beautiful thing. I recently read a book by Abraham Joshua Heschel called The Sabbath. He was a Jewish rabbi. He taught at New York Theological Seminary, a Jewish seminary in, in New York. And his book on the Sabbath is absolutely riveting as he speaks of the beauty and the splendor and the grace of the gift of the Sabbath. Do you realize that the first thing that God ever endowed with the quality of holiness was a day, not a person, not a place, not a thing. And God rested on the Sabbath from all of his works and he called it holy in Genesis chapter 2 verse 3. The Sabbath was God's first temple. The first temple God created was not a temple in space. It was a temple in time. The temple in space didn't come till later when God took Moses to the foot of Mount Sinai, took him up to the mountain and gave him the plans for the tabernacle. Now suddenly as the tabernacle is being built, there is a space where God says, I'm going to dwell in this space. But before God ever inhabited a space, he inhabited a time. He said, this time is my temple. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. The Sabbath was the first temple that God ever inhabited. And Abraham Joshua Heschel points out in his book, The Sabbath, that when God created Adam and Eve, he gave them this cultural mandate, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, take dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. Literally, he's saying, I've created everything, but now it's your job, not only to maintain it, but to develop it, to cultivate it. It's your job to take authority over it. It's your job to find the latent potential within the creation and bring it out. He was talking about technology. He was talking about industry. He was talking about enterprise. He was talking about endeavors. He was talking about corporations and businesses and creation of cities and, and creation of towns. He said, go out and take dominion over the earth. But on the Sabbath day, you're going to rest from all of that. The Sabbath represents the temporary suspension of the dominion mandate. On the Sabbath, you stop taking dominion and you just rest. On the Sabbath, you stop cultivating and you just rest. On the Sabbath, you stop trying to create the world to come and simply enjoy the world that is. On the Sabbath, you look around at what you got and you rejoice in it. It says on the Sabbath, on the second, on the seventh day, God took delight in all that his hands have made. And so my wife and I, my, my wife and I, we practice this thing called Sabbath of delight. 
And we do it every Monday because, you know, our weekends on Sunday after church and Monday is our Sabbath of delight. And we take delight in everything that God did in the previous week. And all day long, my wife says, what are you delighting in? And I say, I delight in what God did yesterday in second service. And I said, what are you delighting in? She said, I delight in something Alethea said last Thursday. And we try to think back through the whole week and we try to take delight in everything God did. We don't want that day to pass without us taking delight in all that God's hands have made on the Sabbath. On that day, we're not not asking him to do more. We're thanking him for what he's done. And we can be so driven towards the future that we forget to enjoy the present. We can be so driven towards the future that we become like the nine lepers who never stop to come back and give the Lord thanks. Never stop to, to look down and say, wait a minute, we've been cleansed. They said, we're going to take the fact that we've been healed and simply go forward with our lives. But the one said, no, I'm going to stop and go back and give thanks. That's what the Sabbath was all about about the Sabbath was a powerful gift from God to the people of Israel. Matter of fact, the ancient rabbis would say that on the Sabbath, God created one last thing on the Sabbath. God created manucha rest on the Sabbath. God created rest. And in Israel, Friday was called preparation day because preparation day all through the day, getting ready for sundown Friday evening, you better be ready because once the sun goes down, your work is done. If the dinner's not ready, you're going to eat it half cooked. I don't care. Because once the Sabbath starts, no more working, no more striving, no more laboring, no more toiling, no more trying to produce things out of the sweat of your brow. It's time to stop sweating. It's time to stop laboring and toiling and working. Now you're just going to sit and you're going to rest and you're going to reflect and you're going to rejoice and you're going to embrace and you're going to enjoy the fellowship of your friends and family and you're going to worship the Lord and you're going to rejoice in the Lord. And it was a sacred day. It was a holy day. It was a holy day time. So why was Jesus so intent upon desecrating this holy day? (laughs) He understood, he knew what they went through to honor God's command, to remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy. But yet he goes into the synagogue again and again and again and again. And right in front of everybody, he doesn't tell them, talk to me after the service. The practice of Jesus of healing on the Sabbath conveyed one clear message to the people of Israel. In all your observance, you have no idea what the Sabbath is. You see the Sabbath as nothing more than abstinence. Abstaining from a list of activities for a 24-hour period. You call that Sabbath. Abstaining. Stopping. The Sabbath is not simply about abstinence. It's not simply about not doing a list of things. That's not the Sabbath that God intended. Because you cannot rejoice in the works of God if you haven't even entered into them. You cannot rest in what you do not possess. Jesus says, you have learned how to abstain from certain activities for 24 hours a week, but I have more in store for you than that. I want to give you more than mere abstinence. I want to give you rest. 
Isn't it interesting that in Matthew eleven twenty seven, Jesus says to a Jewish nation that's steeped in Sabbath observance, there's not one person that he's speaking to that doesn't observe the Sabbath weekly. And he says, come to, you, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you menucha, rest. I will give you what you think you're getting by taking one day off a week. I will teach you that Sabbath is not something that you can simply take by not scheduling any mission trips during those two months. Sabbath is not something that you get simply by not having any small groups during those two months. Sabbath is not something, see a lot of times people even skip church and call it Sabbath. I'm on Sabbath, I'm on rest, I ain't even got to go to the church house. Sabbath is not something you take, it's something Jesus gives. He says, you got it all wrong, but come to me and I'll give you rest. I'll give you manucha. I'll give you Sabbath. Verse 11 and 12, Jesus sees this woman. He's teaching in the synagogue and he sees this woman who was bent over and it says she couldn't straighten up. You know, there's some folks in this room right now that are bent over and can't straighten up. You can't straighten up for the life of you. And you've been saying to yourself, straighten up. There's some activity that you're engaging in that's got you all bent over. And you say every week, straighten up. This week, I'm going to straighten up. I'm going to stop it. There's some character flaw in your life that you can't seem to, to, to break off. You say, I'm trying to straighten up. This woman was bent over and couldn't straighten up. And you know what? Everybody saw she was bent over. She looked like a harmony. Bent over, couldn't straighten up. Jesus sees her and he simply could not continue teaching and leave this woman in her condition. His heart would not allow him to teach around the condition of this woman. His heart would not allow him to continue to speak of the glorious rest that God wants to give without actually giving it to this woman. That is, he couldn't simply move the ball up the field. He had to put it through the goal. See, when we talk about things, we move the ball up the field. But when we actually do the thing, when we actually bring it to reality, now we're putting the ball in the goal. You can hear revelation and all you're doing is moving the ball up the field. But until that revelation becomes reality in your life, you haven't put it through the goal yet. He calls her forward. He highlights her in front of everyone. He embarrasses her. He turns everyone's attention. You see this bent over woman right here. Everybody look, everybody stop what you're doing and look at this bent over woman. What if, what if the Lord did that in church again? Just called bent over folks. There's a person in here with bent over morality. Can't straighten up. I'm going to call you up in front of everybody. There's a person in here with a bent over family. I'm going to call you up in front of everybody. There's a person in here with a bent over work, work ethic. I'm going to call you up here in front of everybody. Bent over and can't straighten up. And the thing is that Jesus does not fault her for not being able to straighten up. The fact of the matter is this woman could not simply straighten herself up by trying harder. There's stuff that you're trying to straighten yourself up. And the word of the Lord to you is you can't straighten yourself up. And sometimes that's why you keep falling into the thing again and again and again and again. Because God wants to allow you to get broken to the point where you finally realize that you can't straighten yourself up. Maybe I'll just come to Jesus. And the scripture says that he lays his hands on her. 
Now, you've got to understand that when the Bible talks about Jesus laying hands on people, it's not the same context of laying hand on, on of hands. You know, in, in our church, you know, in the charismatic world, when we talk about the laying on of hands, we, we see it as a release of power. Power is coming through my hands to you. But for Jesus, actually what he's doing is reversing the defilement by association paradigm. In the ancient world, in ancient Israel, when that which is clean touches something unclean, the clean becomes unclean. A sick person is always seen as unclean. Someone with an infirmity, remember the disciples in John 9, they saw the blind man. They said, Lord, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Anyone that had a sickness or infirmity of any kind was seen as being unclean. When Jesus put his hands on sick people, what he was saying is, I'm not afraid to touch you. I'm not afraid that you're too dirty, that you're going to make me unclean. There's nothing in you that's so dirty that it can soil me. Matter of fact, when I touch you, you're going to become clean. There's no one. Matter of fact, Jesus, he would touch lepers who had leprosy, who had their skin and flesh was rotting. Their, their, their limbs were falling off of their body and Jesus would touch them. I'm not afraid to get what you got, but you should be afraid to get what I got. Cause I'm telling you, you're about to get what I got. He puts his hand on this woman and he identifies with her. In her bent over condition. And he speaks. And he says. You're loosed. T.D. Jakes. Woman thou art loosed. (laughs) I grew up reading it in the King James Version too. Woman thou art loosed. And the scripture says immediately. She straightened up. And praised God. I thought about naming this message, straighten up and praise God. Now the synagogue leader, the pastor of that church was upset. As soon as Jesus finishes working the miracle, the guy comes up and snatches the microphone from Jesus. That'll be enough from you. And then he rebukes the people. Look. There's six days a week that we can work on. Come and be healed on those days, but not on the Sabbath. And Jesus snatches the mic back and goes, you hypocrite. And he looks out and says, which one of you doesn't untie your ox or your donkey on the Sabbath and lead it to water? Place is dead silent. So why can't this woman a daughter of Abraham who's been in this condition for 18 years be set free on the Sabbath. You hear what Jesus is saying? I didn't break the Sabbath. I gave her her first Sabbath in 18 years. Sabbath? Hypocrisy. This woman hasn't had a Sabbath in 18 years. I broke it by setting her free. I broke it by giving her rest. This woman has had no rest for 18 years. I just brought about the Sabbath. I told you Jesus healed on the Sabbath to make a point. And the point is you have no clue what the Sabbath is. You thought the Sabbath was a 24-hour period of time. And I'm here to tell you that the Sabbath is a quality of life. 
Jesus said, I came that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly, that they might have it to the full. Sabbath is the state of divine freedom that only God can give. Jesus did not, Jesus did not break the Sabbath when he healed on the Sabbath. He created the Sabbath when he healed on the Sabbath. The Sabbath didn't start till Jesus started healing folk. The Sabbath didn't start when the sun went down. The Sabbath started when the Son of God said, Woman, you are loosed from your affliction. The Sabbath began for that woman at that moment. Now watch this. This is, this is interesting to me because earlier when Jesus heals on the Sabbath, in Mark chapter 1, first of all, he's in the temple, he's in the tabernacle, he's teaching, and a man with a demonic spirit cries out, we know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus says, be quiet, come out of him. The man set free, and word about it spread throughout the region. Then he goes to Peter's mother-in-law's house, and he heals her on the Sabbath. Right after that, it's still the Sabbath, right? And the scripture says, after the sun went down, all the sick and the afflicted came from the surrounding towns. And then Jesus went out and healed them. This is interesting. Think about this. The word gets out on the Sabbath. Jesus is, he's got authority to cast out demons and to heal the sick. And everybody's like, let's go right now. And they're like, no, no, no. It's still the Sabbath. You got to wait. And they waited till the sun went down to come and ask Jesus for healing. Do you see what the Sabbath had become? It started off as a time when God commanded man not to work, and now it became a time when man commanded God not to work. It started off as God saying, rest and enjoy the day. And now man is saying, God, you're not allowed to do this now. And all these sick and afflicted people are waiting for the Sabbath to be over so that they can ask God to heal them. Waiting for the Sabbath to end so that now they can come to Jesus and ask him to set them free. Waiting for the Sabbath to end, not not realizing that the moment they come to Jesus, the Sabbath begins. Trying not to break the Sabbath, not realizing that the moment they heard the words of Jesus, it would inaugurate the Sabbath. It would create the Sabbath. The Sabbath was the seventh day under the old covenant. The Sabbath is the first day under the new covenant. The Sabbath comes at the end of the week under the old covenant. After all the work is done, now you get to rest. But under the new covenant, Jesus says, rest first. And he perfectly pictures this by being born in a manger. You got to think about this. Imagine the strategy meetings that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were having in heaven. Before Jesus was born, we're going to bring eternal salvation to the world. How are we going to do it? Big chalkboard (laughs) of infinite length, right? (laughs) All right, let's get some ideas. Called in their angelic staff, (laughs) right? Let's throw out some ideas. How are we going to do this? I mean, if you think about that meeting now, if we were having that meeting, 
we would plan a series of worldwide outreaches, right? I mean, we, it would have to be mass, right? Where do you think they came up with the idea of, you know, Jesus just raises his hand and goes, I got an idea. What if I'm just born to an average woman out of wedlock in a manger with the animals around? And if I just like chill for 30 years, <laughs> and then what I'll do is for the next three years, I'll just walk around with 12 people. Do you know how anxious you and I would feel if we were given the task of bringing eternal salvation to the world? I got to make every minute of my life count. We would be working feverishly from the moment of birth. If I were Jesus, I would have preached my first sermon at six months old. I would have come out of Mary's womb and no time to waste. I am the resurrection and the life. No one comes to the father, but through me, bring me my disciples and my, my bottle, bring my diapers, Peter. Book an airline ticket. We got to fly all over the whole world. We got to save the world. But instead, he spends 30 years just kicking it, hanging out with moms and dad. He had, you know, Jesus had younger brothers and sisters. Can you imagine how much pressure that would have been to be Jesus' little brother? Your mom be like, take your brother, for example. <laughs> you act up in school, the teachers be like, why can't you just be more like Jesus? <laughs> That's some pressure, man. He steps out at 12 years old and he's schooling the rabbis already in the temple. And his mom finds him and rebukes him. And he's like, but I had to be about my father's business. She's like, boy, you better get over here. I'll give you some business to be about. Get home and wash them dishes. And you know what the scripture says? It says he went with them and submitted himself to them. For 30 years. And then when he starts his ministry, he goes down into the waters and says, John, baptize me. And John baptizes him and the Holy Spirit comes. And then he immediately goes out into the wilderness for a 40-day fast. The ministry of Jesus doesn't make any sense. Walking around for three years. And then just sit on a mountain. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of God. 
don't you have work to do? Why aren't you anxious about it? Because I started with Sabbath. Jesus didn't come to bring Sabbath. He was Sabbath. He says, I am. He, it, Jesus is the Sabbath. And you know what the Sabbath is about? The Sabbath is about faith. Living in the Sabbath is about walking in faith. Do you know that there's a distinction between faith and hope? Hope is always future oriented. Faith is always present oriented. You hope for what's to come. You're not believing for what's to come. You're hoping for it. But faith is possessing now in the spirit what is coming later in the natural. That's why Hebrews 11.1 1 says that faith is the substance of things hoped for. I possess it now by faith. And when, when I say I possess it now by faith, it means that I've come into this place in the spirit where it's already done. This is the key. You've got to learn living in the Sabbath is not about taking a break. Living in the Sabbath is not about time off or time out. Living in the Sabbath is not about being taken down from leadership for a season of restoration. Living in the Sabbath is not about separating yourself from the people of God because you're trying to find yourself. It's not about not showing up to church because you're hurt by something somebody said or did. Living in the Sabbath, that's not Sabbath at all. And people use that word, I need to take a sabbatical. Now, now. Don't get me wrong. I believe in sabbaticals. Sabbaticals are real. I think senior pastors should take them after like 10 years of hardcore ministry. But what I'm saying is 90% of the people that use the word sabbatical have no business using it. It's like the people who say they got a thorn in their flesh. I just want to slap some of them, you know. Paul said he had a thorn in his flesh because of the height of revelation God had given him. It said it was to keep him from being overly elated by the great revelation, you know, being taken into third heaven and hearing unspeakable words. You know, if you need a thorn in your flesh and you ain't done nothing to keep you from being prideful, you know, if you're going to be prideful, you ain't done nothing. You know what I mean? Anyway, but this one. A sabbatical, when we say I need a sabbatical, it's typically because I'm burnt out. I need a sabbatical because I'm burnt out. That spirit of burnout is so demonic. And once again, half the folks who are burnt out haven't done nothing. What are you burnt out about? I've been doing overhead for six months straight. You know, and doing the overhead is rough. People got to see the words. And I'm so burnt out. Well, do you do it every week? No, once a month. But I, I'm just so burnt out from doing overhead once a month. Pastor Christian Aaron didn't tell me about anybody. So if you know, if this is, is, it's purely, you know, coincidental. If this is, I'm talking about you. (laughs) Cause it got kind of (laughs) quiet. You know, they told him about me. No, they didn't tell me nothing. (laughs) 
Paul was getting shipwrecked, beaten, stoned, and left for dead, but he never asked for a sabbatical. You never see Paul saying, I'm burnt out. Paul worked a full-time job. He, He made tents all day long and then preached all night long, but never asked for a sabbatical. There's no spirit of burnout on him. He never became, he would just say, don't become weary in well-doing. A sabbatical is not about the cessation of a particular constellation of ministry activities. That's not what a sabbatical is about. Sabbath rest is about entering into the fulfillment of your labors now. It's about knowing what you're working towards, what you're hoping for, and then going into your prayer closet until you possess it by faith now. Till you can say by faith today it is finished. Why? Because I went into the spirit and I went to the mountaintop and I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. And even if I don't get there with you, I'm not worried about that now. Okay, yeah, a little Martin Luther King Jr. for you. The point I'm making is that at every place where I come to a place of frustration in the ministry, where I feel weary, it's not a time to quit. It's not a time to to back down. It's not a time to slack off. It's not a time to go to sleep. It is a time to wake up and to go into my prayer closet and to pray until God takes me by faith into the promised land and I begin to possess it. And at that place where you possess it in the spirit now by faith, now you've entered into Sabbath. Because there, your, labor is not, is, your labor is not arduous or anxious anymore. But you're working from a place of completion. It means you learn to finish every task before you start it. Did that make sense? Because I just felt that just over some of you. You learn to finish before you start. In Sabbath rest, we enter into the it is finished. Before we even enter into the it is begun. The Sabbath was the seventh day under the old covenant. Six days you work. On the seventh day you rest. But the scripture says Jesus was raised from the dead on the first day of the week. And that's why the early church began to gather for worship on Sunday. They began to worship on the first day of the week. Resurrection day. They called it the Lord's day. And that's why John said in the revelation, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. The whole revelation You read the book of Revelation, all it is, is John, by the Spirit, entering into the completion of everything that would take millennia to be fulfilled. But he possesses it now. And isn't this what Abraham, our father, did? God says, Abraham, I want you to go to the place that I'll show you. And he lived in the land of promise as a stranger and an alien. In living there, he possessed it now even though his descendants would not inherit it for hundreds of years, but he possessed it by faith and by obedience, by moving into it. Now, there's some places that you're not even going to see fruit in these areas yet, but God calls you to live there by faith. And that's what Sabbath rest is all about. What I'm saying to you is we see rest in Western culture. Rest is preparation for work. 
I got to rest up so that I can work. In Hebrew culture, rest is the culmination of work. In Hebrew culture, I work so that I can rest. In Western culture, I rest so that I can work. Under the new covenant, in rest, I've already worked. So that when I begin to work, I'm simply bringing to pass what has already been completed in the spirit. And that's why the ministry of Jesus was non-anxious. He knew he couldn't screw it up. It has already been done. The lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. By faith, he already knew. See, we live, what I'm trying to get at is that we live with this sense of tentativity. There's a huge chance that I'm going to fail. Like it's a maybe. You know, my breakthrough's a maybe. Jesus never had any sense of tentativity. There was never an, oh, I hope this works. Oh, I'm nervous about this. You imagine Jesus praying for a sick person and going, all right, I'll give it my best shot. (laughs) Let me try something. Jesus was never trying anything. He was completely at rest from the beginning to the end of his ministry. Why? Because he was living in the Sabbath. For him, Sabbath was not a season. It was a state of being. God is inviting you into the Sabbath. He wants to heal you on the Sabbath. He wants to come into those places in your life where you're not expecting God to work. Imagine this. When Jesus heals on the Sabbath, he heals in a place where nobody's expecting. Nobody's been praying. Nobody's believing. Nobody in there was believing him to heal. Nobody had been praying for it. There was no atmosphere of faith. It was a completely surprising work of God. Jesus is getting ready to come into your Sabbath because he wants to exchange your Sabbath for his Sabbath. Many of you here have been trying to learn how to rest. Let me tell you something. You can't do it. But what we can do is we can come to Jesus. And we've got to learn how to come before the Lord And stay at his feet until we enter into that Sabbath place. Until he begins to lift our burdens. Until he begins to remove the yoke. And he gives us his yoke. He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I say to you today that if your yoke is heavy, if your yoke is hard and your burden is heavy, it's not the yoke and burden of the Lord. I don't care how much you have on your plate. It's easy and it's light if it's the Lord's burden. It's easy and it's light. We tend to judge how heavy things are and how hard things are by how much we have on our plates. And I'm telling you, it has nothing to do with what's on my plate. It has to do with where my heart is before the Lord. God wants to exchange his yoke for your yoke, his burden for your burden. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Let's bow our heads. If I can get somebody on the keyboard. You know, last night, Pastor Marcus talked about the disciples sleeping in the garden. And I was thinking about Luke's version of that story. In Luke twenty-two forty-five, the scripture says, that they were sleeping because they were exhausted from sorrow. 
They were exhausted from sorrow because they did not possess understanding. At every place in your life where you feel like you're burnt out, where you feel like you're weary, where you feel like you're tired, that's a place in which you simply need understanding. There's some sorrow in that place. Sorrow tends to wear us down. I'm sensing that some of you here are weary and well-doing, but it's because of sorrow. There's some disillusionment, some grief. Places where you just don't understand. God, why is this? Why am I experiencing this? Why is this happening to me? Exhausted from sorrow. Exhausted not from their labor, but from their sorrow. Some of you have been wondering, why am I so tired? Why, why can't I seem to rest enough? Even if I take time off, I come back, I'm tired. I go on vacation, I come back ti- more tired than I was when I left. You're exhausted from sorrow, from disillusionment, from discouragement. Maybe you feel like you haven't eaten the fruit of your labors. But the word of the Lord to you is that God is coming into your Sabbath. That he's coming to cause you to straighten up by his power in an area where you can't straighten up by your power. He's coming to set set you free in a place where you can't set yourself free. It's not about how loud you shout or how loud you scream in a moment. But living the Sabbath lifestyle is about living before the Lord on a daily basis. It's not about coming to Him and having a power encounter and then going out away from Him and trying to live in the power of that encounter outside of it. But it's about coming before the Lord and staying before the Lord and living before the Lord. Coming to Him on a daily basis and and living at His feet, sitting at His feet, drinking from the cup in His hand, leaning back against Him and breathing, hearing His heartbeat, drinking from the cup, drinking from that love that's so deep that it's more than you can stand. He's inviting you into that place of rest, into that place of Sabbath. And many of you are crying out for the Lord to give it to you. And he's simply saying, come to me. I can't help. You know, I I had this talk, this intense talk with my wife the other day. And I was saying, baby, why is it that I can't get you to do these certain things for me? And she said to me, she said, let me tell you the kind of person I am. If I feel like I'm intensely loved by you, I cannot help but give back to you. It's my nature. It's my nature. I just cannot help. If you can just cause me to feel intensely loved in these particular areas, I cannot help but give back to you. You know, if you want to understand anything about Jesus, is that a broken heart and a contrite spirit, he has yet to deny. He cannot resist the brokenhearted and the contrite. Those who come before his face, he cannot stop himself from pouring out his love in your heart. He cannot help it. He cannot. If you continue to reach for his heart, he cannot help but embrace you and take you in his arms. And you cannot possibly continue to walk in bondage if you would make the decision to continue to walk in the light of his love. Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would bring about the Sabbath. Lord, the Sabbath is not something we can schedule. It's not a chronological time. It's a Kairos time. It's a significant moment. It's a a divine appointment. Sabbath. Rest. Holy Spirit, come and just begin to release the spirit of Sabbath right now. 
Every burden is being lifted. Every yoke is being destroyed. There's Sabbath right now. Sabbath. Shabbat Shalom. Some of you have been struggling against yokes for years. He's coming to bring the Sabbath. You've been in bondage for years. He's coming to bring Sabbath. I say to you, you are loosed from your oppression right now. In the name of Jesus. You are loosed. You are loosed. It's time to straighten up and praise God. Because he's bringing the Sabbath. He's coming into that place where you don't expect him to come. He's coming into that place where you thought you had to get it right before you could come to him. He's coming into that place and saying, no, 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 no. You bring it to me and I get it right. He's coming to you. He's saying, come unto me, you who are weary and heavy laden. Come unto me just as you are. Even if your hands are unclean and your hearts are impure, just come to me. Even if you're broken and, and worn down, just come to me. Even, even if you have no strength to labor, come to me. I don't call you because of what you can do for me. I call you because of what I can do for you. I don't call you for what you can bring to me. I call you for what I can bring to you. Come to me. Jesus, we come to you right now. We come to you right now. Just begin to come to him right now. In your own way, in your own words. In your own voice, we come to you right now. Just lift your hands to the Lord right now. I say that the Lord is coming right now to bring the eschatological Sabbath, to bring the end time Sabbath. It's not a time. It's not a day. It doesn't start at 9 a.m. and end at 6 p.m. It doesn't start at 11 a.m. and end at 1 p.m. It is a lifestyle. It is a quality of life. It is a divine power that comes from heaven. It is called freedom. It is called peace. It is called rest. It is called life. And the Lord says unto you today, I am bringing you Sabbath. I am giving you Sabbath. I am giving you rest. I am giving you rest. I command every bondage to break. I command every shackle to crack. I command every oppression to flee. In the name of Jesus, I declare it right now. I declare it right now. Every power of darkness must break. Every power of oppression must break from over your life. Right now, in the name of Jesus, I command it to flee. Yeah! Sabbath rest right now. Must break right now in Jesus' name. I declare that addictions are breaking right now. I declare that temptation is being overcome right now by the power of Jesus Christ. I declare that sexual sin is being broken off of lives right now. In the name of Jesus Christ, I declare it right now. Come on, just receive that. I want you to pray into that right now. Pray into that right now. Addiction, every addiction must break right now. Every addiction must break right now. For some of you, it just feels like it's so strong, you think you'll never be free. Well, I come to bring you the gospel. I come to bring you the good news. He whom the sun sets free, he is free indeed. Come on, I want you to lift up your voice, and I want you to war for those who are battling addiction. I want you to war and declare freedom. I want you to declare freedom. I want you to declare freedom. 
person. Just like Jesus couldn't finish his teaching and go home, when he's looking at that woman who's bent over and it's still in her affliction, he couldn't talk about the Sabbath, but leave her in her affliction. I'm telling you, there's something that's welling up in me today that some of you are battling with addiction and you're bent over under the power of this addiction. And I'm telling you that I can't leave you in that condition today. I'm telling you that I can't send you home with that thing clinging to your soul. I'm telling you that you don't have to live in that condition for another day. You don't have to live under the shame of it for another day. You don't have to live under the grip of it, under the power of it for another day. And I know that you've been in that condition for years. And listen, when you've been in a condition for years, you begin to expect that tomorrow is just going to be like yesterday. When you've been in a condition for years, you begin to expect that nothing can be done about this. I believed, I hoped, but nothing avails. This woman had been in that condition for 18 years, but I'm telling you that the power of Jesus Christ is more powerful than a limited period period of time. I don't care if it was a hundred years. The name of Jesus is more powerful. The name of Jesus is more powerful than any addiction. And so listen, I want you to do this one more time. I want everybody here to open their mouths and begin to war against addiction, to war against sexual sin, to war against bad habits in that realm, just to war for freedom in that realm. And just to believe that whoever among you has, I'm not calling anybody out or doing an altar call. You don't need the laying on of hands because this is coming straight from Jesus today. But I want everybody to participate in it by praying into it right now. Just lift up your voice right now and begin to pray into it. And I'm telling you it's breaking off of lives it's breaking it's breaking right now remember I was in Ghana Africa a guy came into a village one time and came walking into the village grabbed a few other guys in the village and they walked off back out into the jungle a few hours later they came pushing this car in found out that the guy had been driving his car through this the wooded area. The car broke down. So he had to walk a couple hours into the village. And he had to convince some guys to walk a couple hours back with him out to where his car was. And to push it all the way back into the village where it could get fixed. Isn't it interesting that that car was so valuable that they just couldn't leave it out there. That car was so valuable that they couldn't leave it stuck in the mud. And it was a hoopty. I mean, that was a broke-down car. That was a car that any of us would look at it. Man, if that car gets stuck in the mud, I'm just leaving it there. Forget it. Especially if it's in the jungle. Forget it. But to them, that car was so valuable that they wouldn't leave it there. You know, we leave our brothers and sisters stuck in the mud all the time. You know, what if you heard about a brother or sister who was struggling with an addiction, you just got four or five people and just went to their house and said, we're going to pray until this thing breaks off you tonight. I can't leave you stuck in the mud. You're too valuable. You're too valuable. I can't leave you stuck in the mud. We're going to get our small group together and we're going to cry out to God. And see, the problem is when your car gets stuck in the mud, you go tell people. But when you get stuck in the mud, you try to keep it a secret. You need to go to your small group and say, look, I need you guys to pray me out of this thing because I'm stuck in the mud and I need help. I can't pull myself out. I need some help. And so I need some women. Listen, you're a mighty army for the Lord. That's who you are. That's your vision. That's who you are. But you don't leave casualties out on the battlefield until they're dead. You bury the dead. But when folks aren't dead yet, you don't leave them out there. You go get them. You go get them. And I'm telling you, this is a season for freedom. This is a season for radical freedom at at New Philly. 
The season for radical freedom where I don't care what folks are stuck in. If you just come around them and say, we're going to pray till this thing breaks off you. We're going to pray. And some of you might have to lock them in the room like they're crack addicts. You know, let them go through withdrawals. Well, you're not leaving this room until we get you free from this thing. I'm telling you, you will see people get broken free. You'll see radical freedom come into people's lives because you're making a decision. My brothers and sisters are too valuable. And nobody gets left. So, Father, I just speak your blessing over this house today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you that you're bringing rest. You're bringing Sabbath. And as New Philly goes into this Sabbath season, I pray that you would release within every heart and every mind a revelation of what the Sabbath is. It's not just a time. We can go through the time and not enter into the reality and nothing changes. But we can enter into the reality... And then we get the most of the time. So, Father, I pray for these Sabbath months of January and February that New Philadelphia Church would experience Sabbath in a way that it never has before to a greater level, a greater dimension of rest, of life, of freedom, a new kind of community, joy, delight, Sabbath of delight. May it truly be a Sabbath of delight. And I speak blessing over each and every heart and mind in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.